The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. From director Laura McGann, The Deepest Breath captures the gripping mix of destiny and danger at the heart of two athletes' undeniable bond. It offers a never-before-seen glimpse into one of the most dangerous sports on the planet. The Daily Beast calls the documentary heart-stopping, expansive, and intimate. Watch The Deepest Breath, now on Netflix. Welcome to Top Docs. I'm Mike Merrill, and today we are speaking with my co-creator and co-host, Ken Jacobson. Hey, Mike. In addition to his Top Doc duties, Ken is the executive director of the Hot Springs Documentary Film Festival, which runs this year from October 6th to October 14th. Hot Springs is the oldest documentary film festival in North America. Is that right, Ken? That is correct, Mike. This is our 32nd year. So actually, originally, the Hot Springs Documentary Film Festival was focused on showing Oscar-nominated documentaries. It was like the original platform for showing those films to audiences. And of course, we've evolved, and now we show all kinds of films, about 50 features and another 40 or so shorts. We are an Oscar-qualifying festival in the short documentary category. And another thing we're known for is our Southern Features section. So we do show a good sampling of the best documentary work on Southern themes and by Southern filmmakers. And Ken, you've joined me today to tell us about some of the films you think viewers might want to catch at the festival. And maybe we should start with the gala films. And Ken, what is the gala film? I'm glad you asked. So our gala films are our opening night film, which this year is a film by two Arkansas-based filmmakers, Adam Harbottle and Brian Hill, called Relentless Ride, about an epic bike race that happens every year in the state of Arkansas. We then have our centerpiece film, which is The Mission by Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss, who, of course, we've had on the podcast before. In fact, it was our very first podcast, I believe. That's right. And we're going to have them back on to talk about the mission again. So the mission, which is coming out soon from National Geographic Documentary Films, is a look back at the fascinating and troubling story of John Chow, who is a Christian missionary who went to make contact with a group of indigenous peoples to try to convert them to Christianity with tragic consequences. Jesse and Amanda do an amazing job of looking at the deeper issues and asking, and to some extent, trying to answer some of the most troubling questions that John Chow's story raises. Yeah, and we know that Jesse and Amanda, as we saw in Boy State, are very attuned to the ambitions of young men. And then I think you have one more, and the filmmakers you spoke with at Sundance, actually. That's right. We have for our closing night film, Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni Project, directed by Michelle Stevenson and Joe Brewster. It's an incredibly imaginative and engaging portrait of the iconic poet, Nikki Giovanni. What's really nice for us here in Hot Springs is 10 years ago, we showed their film, American Promise, which was their breakout documentary. And Joe was here 10 years ago. The film won an award. So on the 10th anniversary, we're showing their latest film, which premiered at Sundance and is winning all kinds of well-deserved praise on the circuit. 
So you have many other films. I think maybe we should start with one from an old pro, Errol Morris. Yes. Errol Morris is back with a really intriguing subject. It is called The Pigeon Tunnel, which right there, I think, piques one's curiosity, unless you're familiar with that book, which was a memoir written by the great spy thriller novelist John le Carré. And this is a portrait of John le Carré, which is basically a feature-length interview with him with archival footage. It is in the inimitable Errol Morris style. I really had no idea that le Carré's personal story was so intriguing, so involved, so mysterious, and so captivating. So I'm really thrilled that we're able to show The Pigeon Tunnel, Errol's latest film from Apple. Yeah, it's very interesting. The few years that Lecrae actually spent as a spy are in some ways a lot less interesting than his childhood with his incredible father and missing mother. The next up is a movie that has a pretty deceptive title, Hollywood Gate. I thought it was going to bring me back to my L.A. days. Yeah, Hollywood Gate is named after the base in Kabul, Afghanistan, that the U.S. Army abandoned when the U.S. lost the war and left the country. This is a really amazing film. It's a new film. I believe it premiered at festivals this fall. It's directed by Ibrahim Nashat, who's an Egyptian director. Just the fact that this film got made is amazing because... The director was able to get access to high-level Taliban and really show what they did with this space once they took possession of it, once they took over. So you see them exploring this incredibly vast base, former American base. They left airplanes behind. They left computers. They left stockpiles of drugs. And it's really just an exploratory journey that looks at not just what they found, but really how the Taliban perceive the Americans, outsiders in general, and really their approach to power itself. Speaking of international films, how about Q? Q is a really fascinating film. It's directed by Jude Shahab. Primarily, it's a portrait of her mother. Jude is a Lebanese-American filmmaker. Her mother is a devotee of a religious order in Lebanon. The film explores her mother's complete devotion to this group and how it basically rips the family apart. And the film, I think, is an attempt to put the pieces back together. It's incredibly well-made. It's unique. It's a very original approach. I think Jude is really putting her stamp on documentary through this film. Speaking of mothers and daughters, maybe we should talk about Four Daughters. Four Daughters is directed by Kauther Ben-Hania, who's primarily known as a fiction director. But here she tells a personal story, the story of a Tunisian matriarch whose two eldest daughters go missing. And again, it's a family story about how a family is ripped apart by events and then go about kind of putting things back together again. This film was a top prize winner at Cannes, and it's one that we're really excited about. One with the Whale. One with the Whale is a great story. It's set in Alaska on a really remote island. It's focused on this small community, and it shows how dependent they are on whale hunting for sustenance to feed themselves throughout the year. 
And one of the main characters is a teenager named Chris Apasengok, who is basically the best hunter in the community. And he ends up harpooning a, a whale. And this becomes a huge source of pride for the community. But that's not the end of the story, because when Chris's hunt becomes the focus of social media, he actually becomes vilified and threatened by folks in the environmental movement, such as Paul Watson. It really is about this rift between the environmental movement and Native communities that depend on whale hunting for their very survival. So I think it's a very nuanced portrait. It really is an inside look at this remote community, which is struggling to get by, but has a lot of pride and resilience. That film seems to be a very externally focused film. What about uh, maybe a film that's a little more internal, Nathanism? You're right. And this is a really great first feature from Ilan Golod, which is a portrait of the artist Nathan Hilu, just this kind of mad artist who obsessively illustrates his experiences guarding Nazi war criminals during the Nuremberg trials. And Nathan, who's now 90, has lost none of his energy or fervency for documenting these events from his life. And this film, like a number of the other ones that we're showing this year, also ends up being a document of the relationship between the filmmaker and its primary participant. So it takes a lot of twists and turns. I think Elon is definitely a talent to watch. It's incredibly well directed and edited. That's somewhat of a historical documentary, as is another closer in history between life and death, Terry Schiavo's story. Yeah, Terry Schiavo's story is one of those great films, kind of like The Mission, where the issue had its heyday and was a front page news story for a while. And then just kind of vanished and people forgot about it. But there's really a rich history to be mined, both archival and through interviews. And that's what the director, Nick Capote, does so well with this film. It excavates the story of Terry Schiavo. She grabbed headlines in the early 2000s around right to die issues. And yet those issues continue to percolate today. And so I think it's an incredibly timely historical portrait. Taking a slightly different turn, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. I think we'll go down as the definitive document of Andy Kaufman, who he was, what was so amazing and original about his humor, and why he matters as a comedian and a force in the culture. Director Alex Braverman has done an incredible job of finding some wonderful archival material and then supplementing it with contemporary interviews. And if you think you know everything there is to know about Andy Kaufman, you're still going to learn stuff about him from this movie. And if somehow you have escaped knowing who Andy Kaufman is, this is a great intro as well. Another film that I think we've heard a lot about before its release is Stamped from the Beginning. Stamped from the Beginning is from Oscar-winning director Roger Ross Williams, who is incredibly prolific with features and now narratives. And this film, as the title indicates, is based on the best-selling book by Ibram X. Kendi. And now the movie really is the definitive portrait of racist anti-Black narratives. And I think this is a film that will generate a lot of conversation. In this film, Roger illustrates some key points in the book, 
which is the definitive history of racist ideas in America, and then builds on them and uses a rich visual palette, including recreations, animation, and archival material. You also are showing a number of films that made a bit of a splash at Sundance. The advantage of being a festival in October is that you can look back over the course of the year and really pick out those films that really stand out for you. And I think three of those that premiered at Sundance that we're showing are worth mentioning. The Tube of Thieves by Alison O'Daniel is the kind of film that generates a huge amount of discussion among film programmers themselves. So I think it's definitely a film that both challenges documentary conventions and also pushes the form in new directions. Two other films that premiered at Sundance. One is a real audience pleaser. It's Going Varsity and Mariachi, directed by Alejandra Vasquez and Sam Osborne, which focuses on competitive scholastic mariachi in South Texas. I knew nothing about this whole world. They managed to find a really inspiring teacher who leads this team, and then the students who are fighting hard to hold on to the legacy. And this film has some great characters as well as incredible music. Also, I would mention King Cole, directed by Elaine Sheldon McMillian. We were fortunate enough to talk to Elaine at Sundance about King Cole. And this film, I think, has stood the test of time over the course of the year and is one of the standouts in 2023. And Elaine's film is a really imaginative, personal, and nuanced portrait of Appalachia and its dependence on coal and really where the region is headed and is an exploration both of the interior life of these communities and an elegy to the good and the bad of coal. And I will be at the festival and one of the filmmakers I'll speak, be speaking with will be showing a documentary called Art for Everybody. I'm glad you're going to have a chance to talk to the director, Miranda Yosef, who will be here. It's a portrait of Thomas Kincaid, a painter that I think everybody has heard about, but few know the real story of his art empire and his family and his early career. And I believe you have a docuseries world premiere coming up as well. Correct. We're absolutely thrilled to be showing A Town Called Victoria, all three parts. It's directed by Lee Lu. And it's another one of those films that really goes behind the headlines and is a nuanced portrait of a town that is divided politically, culturally, socially, but trying to find a way forward. We're really excited to be showing the world premiere, and it will be screening as part of Independent Lens on PBS later this year. And I will be interviewing director Lee Lu for the pod. And finally, often shorts are kind of put on the back burner. But you folks at Hot Springs really do bring them to the front. So maybe you could tell us about some of the shorts that audiences might want us to take a look at this year. Definitely. I'm incredibly excited about our Sky Hopinka retrospective. Sky is our Career Achievement Award recipient this year. He has developed an, really an unparalleled body of work, primarily in short form, and has really, I think, completely transformed how people look, not just at short docs, but at the medium of film itself. We're showing several of Sky's earlier works, plus his new film, Sunflower Siege Engine. Also, we're showing a new work from Ben Proudfoot, who won the Oscar for the Queen of Basketball. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Ben for the podcast. You can check that out. He's a fun interview, and he had a lot to say about shorts. 
And this new film is incredibly lush, beautifully shot, has great characters in it. The name of it is The Last Repair Shop. It's about this kind of hidden group of people who work in a downtown Los Angeles warehouse who repair musical instruments for the LA school district. And we also get to meet some of the students who play these instruments. Another short I want to highlight is For the Record by Heather Courtney, which focuses on a weekly newspaper in a small Texas panhandle town. And this film reminded me of another film that we featured on the podcast, Storm Lake. We interviewed one of the directors of Storm Lake, Beth Levin, on the pod. And the reason it reminds me of Storm Lake is because the focus of For the Record is about a struggling weekly newspaper and the woman who's trying to keep it afloat against all odds. And Storm Lake is similarly about a small town newspaper in Iowa and some of the changes that they're undergoing in order to keep afloat. So Ken, that was great. Sounds like there's a lot of wonderful options for viewers to check out at the Hot Springs this year. And what were the dates for the festival again? October 6th to the 14th are our dates this year. Nine days of incredible films, events, and wonderful guests. I encourage everyone to check out our lineup at hsdfi.org.